is Alternate Take. I am your host, Danny Rodriguez. Welcome back to the show. On this episode, we did a little soul searching, a good old therapy session. And we got very lucky to do that with an expert. We brought you guys Dan Stanley, who is an expert in human development and performance. Dan Stanley is the owner of the company Better Men, which is dedicated to helping men in the 21st century become not only successful intellectually, but successful emotionally. Now, that's very important in today's society, and it was great to have somebody who knows what they're doing come chat with us for a little bit, man. Dan Stanley is a hell of a guy, man, and I know when I was in my younger 20s, I had some struggles, man, and I, and I definitely wasn't the person I knew I could be or the person I wanted to be, and those people like Dan Stanley that definitely helped me get out of my rut and helped me realize either my potential or helped me realize that I wanted to be happy, and I, and I needed people like him, and I'm glad I got to talk to him, man. He's actually coming out with a book soon, and we went over all the good details in the podcast. So I hope you guys get something from this, because I sure as fuck did. So without further ado, I bring to you the owner of Better Men, Dan Stanley. What up, everybody? This is Alternate Take. Welcome back. On this episode, we brought you guys a role model, man. We brought you guys Dan Stanley, the founder of Better Men. How you doing, Dan Stanley? All the way from the United States. How you doing, sir? Hey, Danny. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. I'm sat in the, the southwest of Wales, which is part of the United Kingdom. And it's, uh, it's a real privilege to be here. And this is the first time that I've had the opportunity to share my message with primarily American audience. That was what was exciting for me waking up this morning. I was like, wow, dude, this is really cool that I get to do an interview with somebody internationally and who has a great message on behind. And I love that, man. Let's start from uh, your humble beginnings, you know, um, the beginning of Dan Stanley and, and how you grew up and all that good stuff. Sure, Danny. Thank you. So I had kind of a, a normal childhood. I was brought up in, a, in the northwest of England. So geographically, it's only a few hundred miles away from where I live now. But um, culturally, it was very different. It's kind of um, uh, an industrial town. There's a lot of heavy industry. Um, companies were making chemicals and cars. And um, yeah, it kind of, it was a fairly normal, fairly normal in many senses. But uh, as we dive into my stories today, it was part of my upbringing, uh, specifically around having, not having my dad in my life, like lots of perhaps young boys and men experience in today's society, kind of had this subconscious effect on me which I never really recognized when I was young. But uh, yeah, I had a fun-loving childhood. My mum was, uh, was a real pillar of strength. My grandparents were influential in my upbringing. And I had two uncles as role models. So I kind of grew up in what was a very happy home. Um, I got into sport at quite a young age. I was fit. I was fast. I was quite big for my age. Uh, and in the, in the UK, we have a sport called rugby league. And in rugby leagues, like American football, without, without the head guards, and there's only 13 guys on, on the pitch for 80 minutes. And yeah, generally, it's, it's, a, it's a fast paced, really intense conflict sport. And uh, yeah, I kind of did pretty well at it. I uh, got all the way through to sort of county level. And then uh, when I left kind of high school, I, I enrolled in the military. I joined the, the British Army. And, and that was kind of the end, or in many ways, of, of that part of my, my life. It felt almost uneventful until, you know, I'm sure we'll go into this as the, as the podcast and the conversation develops. But until around about the age of 35, when I had what was quite frankly a midlife crisis, you know, I never really appreciated how my, my personality, my persona was constructed in those formative years. So, uh, so yeah, that was me growing up. 
Wow. That's interesting. Um, you mentioned the subconscious effect of your, um, your, the absence of your father. When did you think that came into your life and you realized it became conscious when you're like, oh, wow, this is something I've been either, you know, hiding for a while. And then now it's on the forefront and I have to deal with this. Or what was the effect that you had? Yeah, I didn't realize it when I was growing up, but almost everything that I have achieved in my life until the age of 35, which are probably some of my most externally significant achievements were born out of me needing the validation of other people to feel good enough about myself. So, you know, I never, I never connected the dots, you know, hindsight, you know, it's kind of a wonderful thing, but I never connected the dots that everything I did was for the approval and the recognition of other people, because maybe subconsciously I was in a stage where I noticed that I was different to my friends, you know, who had a mum and a dad at the side of the, the, the rugby pitch when we were playing. Uh, and I didn't have that. So yeah, I, my, my kind of winning formula for most of my life has been just to outwork everybody to be recognized for my achievements. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I can totally empathize with that. I totally understand mm. that completely. When you, when you had your midlife crisis, what were the issues that came to the forefront? What were, what were the main things that you thought, wow, um, damn, this is really messing me up. It's messing up my day. And now I'm realizing I have to fix this and I have to turn around right away. And how long was the midlife crisis? Yeah, exactly that, Danny. You know, I, I tried to suppress to suppress how I was feeling. I tried to ignore those kind of deep emotional wounds that, that would kind of come up for me. But quite frankly, I spent the first 35 years of my life pretending to be the person I thought other people wanted and needed me to be. Um, so I was very much, you know, a kind of a people pleaser. Uh, I didn't really have any strong boundaries. Uh, my values were kind of dependent on the environment I found myself in. I would fit in to whatever environment I found myself in. So whether that was like kind of where I grew up in a kind of, you know, a, a working class town or whether that then was in the military, working with both the, the army and the, the, the commando forces. Um, uh, and then now where I live, it has a very different sense of community. It's, it's a small country with a great deal of pride. And yeah, my midlife crisis essentially was, was born off what was the best and worst day of my life. And that was the 6th of December, 2016. Wow. And that was the day that my daughter was born when all the kind of things that I'd been hiding away from in my life because I was too shameful and embarrassed to speak about, you know, not having a real sense of identity because when I left the forces, um, I didn't know who I was or what I wanted. And I just kind of got caught up in, in the busyness of life. So yeah, kind of for me, it was a, it was almost like a breakdown that happened. My daughter was born in December, 2016 and by kind of April, 2017, you know, my mind was so busy constantly that I just couldn't think straight. I'd completely detached from my feelings. I just hid in work and in exercise and I was just completely unable because I didn't have the the emotional literacy to explain how I was feeling. And I just did that typical thing, you know, the, the first rule of fight club is don't talk about fight club. Well, the first rule of masculinity <laughs> is don't talk about what it's like to be a man. Absolutely. And I just, I just shut myself down, Danny, until, until it was unmissable. Right. You know, it's, it's funny because you would think like the opposite of having an identity or not having an identity is having an identity and that's the ultimate goal. And that's great. Um, but mm. they, but it comes with its own challenges as well. I know people that have a, that had a lack of identity and there tend to be like how Jordan Peterson frames it, like a more unagreeable or more agreeable. I'm sorry. And they do whatever it takes to fit in, like you mentioned, and they don't really have strong ideas or strong. It's not, they don't have strong values. It's just whatever I 
think is going to help me flow in the situation is what I'm going to do. And that comes with a lack of identity. Um, but if people that have strong identities, they tend to not have a sense of belong a lot, belonging a lot of times, and they don't seem to fit in in most groups. And that comes with its own, you know, issues already that comes with its own loneliness. Now you may be very successful. Sure. But at the same time, you may not have the best relationships with people. You may not have the best um, relationships with, you know, whoever your loved one is. You may not have the closeness that you're looking for, or just a sense of belonging. You don't have a, you don't have a sense of a team around you or whatnot. So it either way, wherever you go, there's going to be some issues. And it seems like um, you've definitely gotten a lot more successful and finding your identity is, is amazing. Now that we've gotten past that, um, and thank you for your service, by the way. Um, but now that we've gotten past that, what made you get the idea of starting better men, the idea of becoming a life coach for men and using your life lessons to help other people? Because my midlife crisis, I mean, I'm only 29 years old, but my midlife crisis came like at 20, 21, and it lasted for like two, three years. And it was just a state of, you know, exactly what you just said earlier, state of self-reflection, state of pure embarrassment, to be honest with you, how much I, I thought I had left my, let myself down too much. And I, it was kind of no rebounding at that point. And, um, and it took a lot of role models that I don't personally know. Um, but a lot of reading books, a lot of YouTube, a lot of stuff, a lot of people like yourself that helped me change, you know, how I am now. So what, what made you realize that, man, not only do I fix, I fixed myself, but now it's time for me to start helping others. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. So even though that I did, I lacked this true sense of identity, I was still um, an award-winning army commando. I've been recognized for my services to commando forces in the military. Uh, I was a national sporting champion in my sport. Wow. Um, and from the outside looking in, you know, I've been helping my wife kind of grow this multi-million pound business with, at the time, probably around 200 employees. So all this was going on, the award-winning commando, the national sporting champion, the successful business owner. But- you know, I really believe this, Danny, when I say it, that the myth of masculinity is that professional success will equal personal happiness. You know, with intergenerational messages about, you know, play in the game of life, get an education, join a corporate company or start a business, you know, marry the woman of your dreams, have your 2.4 children, buy a detached house. You know, people are playing in this game. And like me, I had all of those things. You know, from the outside, it looked like I was winning, but it felt more like I was losing. Wow. So yeah, that was kind of the, that was kind of the 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 catalyst for 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 better men's birth. And kind of what happened was that me and my wife, we separated for around eight months. You know, I, I couldn't be around her because I didn't know I couldn't be around myself. Uh, and at the time, you know, as I said, I was, you know, successful in my career. So I kind of threw myself into work, achieved some really great results. I threw myself back into exercise. And I'd be training, you know, two, three times a day. If I didn't train twice a day, it felt like a rest day. And I know that you've had lots of UFC guys on the podcast. And uh, at the time I was training, you know, with some professional athletes and I was, I was, you know, I was showing them what to do. I was fitter than they were. And uh, yeah, eventually, you know, George Orwell, he's a, a, fam a famous, a famous Brit. He said that he wears a mask and his face grows to fit it. And that's what had been happening. I've been wearing this mask all my life. And because I didn't even realize it was happening at the time, when I had this midlife crisis, my mask was ripped off and, you know, ultimately it caused a separation in my marriage. So me and my wife spent about eight months apart and a friend of mine who's probably about 10 years older, she'd been on a life journey. She'd had her own adversity and her own experiences, and she could probably see the pain that I thought I was keeping hidden from everybody else. 
And she bought me a book by Michael Singer called Untethered Soul. And I had this book in my, in my, in my, in my house for probably about two months before I read it. And my daughter was born, as I said, on the 6th of December, 16. And the worst day of my life was Christmas Day, December 2017. A year, my daughter was a year old. Myself and my wife, we FaceTimed each other to, so I could see my daughter on Christmas Day. But I spent it alone in a rental property, um, hiding away from the reality of my life. Wow. And yeah, I, I did. I fell back to my old coping strategies of exercise. I, I ran a half marathon on Christmas Day on my own. And I opened a bottle of red wine. And when I opened the second bottle of wine on Christmas Day on my own, um, something just clicked in my mind. And it was, you know, go and open that book. So I started turning the pages of Untethered Soul. And, you know, I really believe that not just as, as a gender, as men, but societally, we're taught what to think, not how to think. And, and what I learned inside the first 50 pages of that book, Danny, was to not switch it off, but to dial down the volume on my inner dialogue that constant voice that was chastising me, telling me how I wasn't good enough, highlighting the things that I'd done in the past that were causing regret and almost creating fear and anxiety around my future life. I just dialed down the volume. And for the first time in probably a year, I had space between my thoughts to really think and to really feel how I was feeling in myself. Uh, Myself and my wife, we, we met on Boxing Day for, to just to have a conversation about the state of our marriage and right, are we, are we done? Is this, are we going for divorce? Is this over? Or are we going to do something different? And uh, we had a conversation and the conversation essentially um, culminated in making the decision that we needed to work on ourselves and on our marriage. So a few months later, we naively went to the Maldives on holiday. We're on one of these, you know, beautiful atolls in the middle of the Indian Ocean, white sandy beach. You could see the black tip reef sharks swimming around the house reef. And uh, at the time, I was, a, like I said, a national sporting champion. So I'm kind of six foot two in pounds, probably 220 pounds. Um, and I've got a six pack. So I'm big and I'm stacked. And I'm on the beach and there's a guy a few sunbeds down and uh, he sort of, he caught my eye and he said, we must be the only two guys in the Maldives reading self-help books. He's like, what's your story? And uh, yeah, we're both smiling now. So I tried to bat him away with a bit of humor, but he didn't bite. And he said, no, man, what's your story? So uh, we grabbed a beer. We sat down on the beach and, and this guy demonstrated to me something that I didn't know men were capable of. You know, he was so open and expressive, so vulnerable and so courageous as he shared his journey from being a professional sportsman in, uh, in soccer. Uh, he played for one of the big clubs, professional clubs in London. Uh, and he had two knee operations that hadn't worked. And all of a sudden, his career was over. You know, there's his high-level wealth, his sports cars, the, the lifestyle he was living, his penthouse apartment, all gone. Uh, and he fell into a state of depression, which culminated in um, addiction to, to, to prostitutes and to drugs. And I'm listening to this guy. Never experienced it, Danny. Not in my sports teams, not in the military, not in society. I'd never heard a man speak like this. And then he looked at me uh, and it felt like he was looking into my soul. He said, the only difference between a rut and a grave is the depth. The only difference between a rut and a grave is the depth. And I knew at that moment, I know, Danny, I know. Uh, I knew at that moment that something in my life had to change. Uh, and is it almost like I kind of went into... I kind of switched through my gears. I felt like I've been kind of in neutral or in reverse for the last kind of year. 
And all of a sudden, I found this forward gear. And I walked back across the beach to my wife. And I said, when we get home, I'm going to shut my, my own business down. And I'm going to take some time out. Um, on the flight back from Dubai to London, she fell asleep. And I wrote an exit plan for my business. And eight weeks later, I shut my business down. Uh, and I took around about eight, nine months out of my life just to spend time with my daughter, to reconnect to myself, to find myself, quite frankly, to rebuild a new marriage with my wife and to get clear on what I wanted to do with my future. And, and that's how Better Men was born, because having heard this guy in the Indian Ocean talk with such vulnerability, I then started to explain to people how I've been thinking and feeling, Danny, and, and I realized that I wasn't alone. You know, my, my network of friends and my peers, they're all guys, you know, in the in their late 30s, that are driving big German cars, living in big detached houses, earning, earning good quality incomes. But there was so much unhappiness and confusion and lack of direction. I started to look at men as a gender and I came to the conclusion that lots of guys are struggling in silence. And, you know, I have a lot of credibility, you know, being this kind of leader of men in the military, being a national sporting champion, being successful in business. And I kind of thought to myself that, I'm part of the problem. If I don't share my story, if I don't stand up for what's happening in modern masculinity, then this is going to be passed down to future generations. And I now have a little son. Uh, he'll be three actually in a couple of weeks. And I kind of, made, I kind of made up a vision for myself that men of our generation would redefine the standards of what it means to be a successful man. And, and that was what led me to this space with my business as better men. Uh, I'm writing a book it's called Men Slow Down as the title. And the subtitle is Stop Living a Life You Don't Understand. Wow. Wow. You said a few things there that, you know, uh, excuse my language, fucking pierced my soul, man. I Absolutely. That I was like, wow, I totally understand what he's talking about. When you said uh, earlier that, that you couldn't be around your wife because you couldn't even be around yourself, man. Fuck. I know exactly what that feeling is like. Jesus mm. Christ. I, mm. And it's the worst feeling, man, because, you know, people that you love or your, or your friends or your family or whatnot, and they, they can take it personally when you're not around them sometimes, but they don't have no idea what the fuck you're going through. They have no idea that like, you're like, dude, like, it's not, I love you, but I, I, I feel like, I feel like garbage. Yeah. I'm not proud yeah. of myself. I'm not happy with myself. And if I have that energy, I, I don't, I don't want to be around someone I love and I don't want them to see me that way. I, I don't want them to, you know. I don't want to bring their energy down. I don't want to be the, the downer in the place. So, you know, I don't want to do any of those things. Um, wow. That's unbelievable. I, I totally understand what that's, what that's like. And especially mm -hmm. um, the untethered soul. What a book. I, that's one of the books that I read and it, it really did help me a lot. I read a lot of books that were very similar in the same theme. And I mentioned on a podcast before where I was talking about, cause I, I know some cynical people where they say, well, all those books kind of just say the same thing. So like, what was the point? And I never, I kind of understood that point at a young age because I was like naive and not as not as wise, but I disagree with it completely. And the reason I do is because it's like saying, well, you know, you worked out your biceps today and that means forever your arms are strong and you don't have to ever worry about it ever again. And as long as you just do this one exercise, you're good to go. And it's like, no, if your brain is a muscle then you got to work it out all the time. So even if you're giving it rep repetitive information or whatnot, if that's how you frame it, it's going to get stronger. And it's a good reminder to stay, you keep your brain in shape. I couldn't agree more. And wow, man, I, I think your story is just phenomenal how you even got started, man. I really, it really is because especially meeting someone, like you said, the guy that you met sounds a lot like my father. I got very lucky to where I did have that male role model figure in my life. 
Um, and my dad is a, as masculine as it gets, but he's also very, he's also very not too. I mean, mm. he's strong. Uh, he's in law enforcement. Uh, he grew up in a very tough neighborhood of like East Los Angeles. Uh, so he's very, you know, he has all those things that you need. If, if, if things were to go South, he's the person you want there, but he's also the person that is the most, he's the light of the room at all times. He's always smiling. He's always laughing. He's, I don't think I've ever seen him in a bad mood. Like since I was like 12 years old. Um, and that's because it was because of us kids. We're all crazy. <laughs> but um, I swear to God, he's just always happy. And he's, and he's talking to lawyers. Then he's talking to former gangsters. And then he's talking to, you know, spiritual advisors. And he's, and he's just, that being in my life has been a huge, huge influence on me on how I conduct myself completely. And it's, I've taken a lot of lessons on, yes, it's, it's very important to have masculine traits, 100%. Yeah especially when life gets tough, but also it's very important to be open. He's never, ever um, been shy to cry in front of us, mm. especially when we're reminiscing about former family members, uh, maybe over a drink of whiskey or a bottle of wine. Um, but he's never been afraid to be emotional. I've always, and I've always admired that in, in, a, in a very masculine way too. You know, when you're like, kind of like the tears are slow, they're not like necessarily boring. Um, but I've always admired that because I've always thought, that's the most important thing because like when I saw my father do that at a young age, it allowed me to be expressive that way. And when I, and I can see when my friends didn't have that, I can see mm -hmm. when they were kind of like what you're yeah. explaining your younger self to be when they were like, just very goal driven, success driven. And they were very repressive with their emotions and don't get me wrong. Being expressive with your emotions can get you in some trouble too. It is what it is. It, it comes with its own thing. But um, I think that you noticing that and trying to find a balance and then use that to spread to other people is very admirable. It's very tough to do because sometimes when you get to that level of, um, I would say, emotional significance in your life where you, you feel like you're adequate now. Yeah. You, you just did so much work to get there. Like the first thing you want to do is at least go, wow, like I'm just at least sitting there and be like, I'm living a good life and enjoy this. It's very it's very admirable for you to not only get that feeling. Go, okay. Now that I learned this, I want to share this with other people. That's phenomenal. Man. How, what was it like now when you first started your, you know, it's kind of weird. I don't even like calling it a company because that's not what it is. If it's more like a fucking mission, it really is. It's beautiful. What was it like when you started getting your first clients and you started being able to tell these lessons to them? Yeah, Danny. Um, everybody thought I was crazy. Everyone thought, you know, wow, you're going to try and go into the space with the, 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 a group that it's almost impossible to reach. You know, you want to work with guys that are, you know, that they're technically winning because they're professionally successful. Like, and how are you going to get their attention? And I just started showing up as I am now, Danny, and just sharing my own message, kind of how I got to a space in my life where even though from the outside, it looked like I was winning, it didn't feel like how I had been promised it would, that I had this fulfillment and this happiness. And, you know, it's, it's a bit of a cliche, actually, but kind of what got you here won't get you there. And you kind of have this formula in life where you, you'll make sacrifices, you'll commit to your work, you know, you will go all in with the thing that's going to get you this kind of um, financial wealth. But the reality is that kind of when you have that, doing more of the same is just going to cause a disconnect in your life. And yeah, so there's like no real proof of concept. There was in the UK, there was nobody really doing what I wanted to do. There were guys that are kind of working with men in a spiritual basis. There was people working with men with poor mental health. There was people working with men in kind of religious groups. Um, but um, yeah, there was nobody that was kind of just working with professionally successful men that kind of got to a stage of their lives. You're like, do you know what? This can't be it. 
there's got to be more to life than this. So yeah, I, uh, I started showing up on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's my social media platform. Um, I kind of, I knew what I wanted to do and I reversed engineered it. So at the time I just wanted to as, reach as many men as I could to share my message. Uh, and I knew that to do that, I, I had to find my voice. So yeah, for the last kind of three years, you know, I've been pretty much posting with real consistency Monday to Friday on LinkedIn, sharing topics that are going to challenge men's perceptions of what it means to be successful because all our fathers had to do, you know, and I don't want to make a judgment here about your father, Danny, because he sounds like a great man that could be assertive and also expressive. But most men of our father's generation, that all they had to do was provide for their family financially and protect them. Right. And I call that the one dimensional model of masculinity, provide and protect. And that's all you got to do. Right. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Uh, You'll stay in your job until you retire and then you'll put yourself out to pasture and you'll just, you know, let life pass you by until, until, until death comes. And I really believe that men of our generation want more than that. Uh, And so do their wives, you know, in, in the UK pre pandemic, 42% of marriages in the UK were ending in divorce. And as part of my book project that I'm that I've been referencing and researching now, since the pandemic, there's been a hundred and twenty-two percent rise in the number of inquiries at divorce law firms. Jesus, and this is because guys are just, you know, that I, I, I really get, yeah, I get a little bit choked up about this because it, it pains me to see all these guys that are, you know, sacrificing life because they're they're too busy working. And I always say to my clients when they come on board, you know, you're probably in a space where you're earning a living without living. And like, what do you want your life to mean? What do you want to be remembered for? Uh, And most of the time, these guys don't, not only do they not know that, Danny, but they don't even know their own values because they've never, they've been so busy racing through this life that they've been living. They haven't slowed down to consider what they actually might want. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so funny. I, I know a lot of people like that. It's, mm. you see it. it I'm, I, it's kind of selfish because I'm sorry that they have to go through certain things like that, but I'm also grateful that at a young age, I can see what I can fix now at a yeah. young man and seeing that they're going through it later. 100%. And, and you're so right about the older generation. I, I always found that father son relationship or just either, you know, parent, you know, kid relationship to be very interesting because in American music, they talk about like Bruce Springsteen talks about it all the time. Um, where your father's like the exactly what you just said, you know, just get yeah. a job and protect. And then the kid is highly ambitious. And as a parent, you want your kid to be safe. You don't you don't really care about their ambitions. It's, you don't even you don't even give a shit about their happiness, to be honest with you. I just want you to make sure that you're financially OK and that you have your own home. And then that's it. So yeah. that's a tough thing to break, because as a kid, you just you're very emotional and irrational. And you're and you're always thinking like. Why doesn't why don't my parents why aren't they behind my dreams? So why aren't they behind my happiness? Because they're like, that's not my goal as a parent. And then I think you're right now, as a parent in the new generations, that's that ideology is kind of scrapping. And it's and I think it's yep. good. I think it's very good. I think the ideology now is how can I get my kid to be a happy adult? Um, and a mature adult and someone who respects themselves and respects the community. And I and I think it's a much different ballgame because I know people who are completely happy and they're just basic, you know, basic lives, plumbers, couple kids. And that's like that simplicity is what makes them happy. They're every time you see them, they're smiling and, and they, and they love their lives. And I know some people who have a lot and aren't happy. So it's, it just depends on finding your own happiness. And it's very difficult to do. Like it's very difficult to do to really reflect 
and internalize what you're thinking and go, what the, what do I want? I don't even know yeah. when you don't even, when you can't answer that question, it's the worst thing in the world. Like what, what, what am I really passionate about? You're like, I don't, a lot of things. I don't know. Like what, what do I really want to do? And man, I think when you, when you enter a space of professionals, like you're talking about, like high level executives, that's a very difficult thing to crack because like you said, these are people that have essentially mastered most of life, you know, and for them to even be self-reflective enough to give you a shot into this, into this realm of their lives is, is important, man. It really is. Yeah. And, and that's it, Danny, you know, for, for a generation of men that were taught not to communicate and not to express how they're feeling. I really believe that conversation is the cure. Uh, and that's essentially what I do. I provide this safe space for guys to take off the masks that they've been wearing to open up their hearts, to share their shame, their embarrassment, their guilt, their regrets, their resentments, to let it all out. And then to change the perspective, to change the emotional weight of how all that feels. Uh, and, you know, I'd never put this on my website because nobody would ever contact me. But what I essentially do is I create a space, Danny, for men to cultivate and nurture a better relationship with themselves. Yeah, because absolutely. for me, fundamentally, we're talking here about happiness, you know, fundamentally, you know, our, our self-esteem is, you know, self-esteem, self-confidence, self-belief, self-worth, it's all self-generated. And if we're ticking all of these external boxes, because that's what society's taught us to do, and none of them make us feel fulfilled inside, we'll never feel good enough. And, you know, when I look at, when I look at masculinity between kind of workaholism and burnout, between kind of loneliness, um, there's a charity in the UK and um, they reported recently that 8 million men in the UK feel lonely in their lives. 8 million men. Wow. Our population is probably about 62 million at the moment. And 8 million men, you know, will, will put their hands up and say, you know what? I, you know, feel lonely in my life. Uh, that leads then to poor mental health, you know, and no one's taught us how to manage, you know, mental health. It's all reactive. You know, only when do, do people start feeling depressed or anxious or do I so it's suicidal? You know, that's the only time people start taking interest in their mental health. Uh, that leads on to midlife crises where people collapse and they think they have to reinvent the whole wheel of their life when the reality is sometimes it's just tweaking a few spokes. Um, and then we spoke about divorce. So you've kind of, in my mind, got these five pillars between workaholism and burnout, kind of loneliness, poor mental health, midlife crisis and divorce. Um, and if we don't sort excuse my language, but if we don't sort this shit out, Danny, we're going to pass it down to the next generation, our sons. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's funny that, you, that your theme is essentially take the mask off. I think it's, I think it's so relevant to admit that like the mask does work a lot for a lot of things. And I think that's why so many people have to learn how to take it off. Like you hear comedians uh, say all the time, you hear people that are high level things that like, or even like a, a law enforcement officer or something like that, that that uniform that they wear is a mask. If yeah. you're not wearing that, you don't have the same level of confidence. You don't have the same level of um, assuredness in yourself to make sure that you can help people. It, you don't feel like Batman. And as soon as you put it on, you're like, I'm ready to go. I, you hear a yeah. siren and you run. It's the, yeah. it's the mask. It's phenomenal. And a comedian, same thing. It's it's the whole phrase, fake it till you make it. Um, today, I'm pretending like I'm a professional comedian. Today, I'm pretending I am Dave Chappelle. And as long as I'm putting this mask on and I'm pretending... I will do great up there. Yeah. And it does work for a lot of things, but it is also equally bad when you don't know how to take it off and just relax and do your, and, and, and really self-reflect. And I think that's, I think it's very important that people know that too. Like, yes, 
good for you, you know, that, that you, you know how to use it to your benefit. And, and by all means, do it as much as you can um, in your professional life. But if you're not taking it off, you're, you're basically screwed, man. I, you know, I, I know a lot of people who are excellent in their career and whatever it is. And, and then off it, like I, you couldn't even pay me to hang out with them. I, yeah, it would be a it would be a nightmare. It's an ear beating that I, I can avoid. I'd rather just go to my grandma's house and let her yell at me. I'd rather just deal with that shit. <laughs> but oh my god, I I I can't I can't like grasp how important conversations like this are because these are the ones that changed my life. Um, I I was very lonely. I was very not proud of myself. I I, I don't I didn't see my friends for like over a year, you know. And they're my closest mm-hmm. friends. We saw each other every day, and it took a lot of. Uh, it took a lot of self-reflection, especially mostly American uh, role models. And ideas. it was a lot of a lot of it was like brute force, like the Jocko Willinks um, of the world, the Les Browns of the world, where they're kind of just in your ear. Uh, who's the other dude? Uh, Harry Vaynerchuk. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Grant yes. Cardone. Gary V. Wow. Yeah. Um, there's this other dude. He's just always he's always yelling. But man, it, I love it. Like it actually does well for me. But there's a lot of people who weren't like that. Mm-hmm. Like I said, like a Jordan Peterson. Um who were just truth more than emotion. And I took every one of them. I use them to as best as I can. And it's still, it's taken me some time. Um, and it's taken me some time to relate that to other people. I'll be honest with you. When, when that's why I admire you so much when you talk about your company, because it's, it's taken me a long time to try to help other people. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily that I'm selfish. Um, it's just that it's always hard for me to believe, to get behind the idea that people won't, that people will change unless they want to change. Uh, you know, I, I know, I know a lot of, and if they, and then as soon as they make that switch in their head that they want to, I'm, believe me, I'm there to help you. I I can tell you which books I read and I can tell you, um, what I did to, to really push myself to get better at certain things and to address my weaknesses and work on them. But I know a lot of people that I I wish I can just dig out of a grave and, and, and I can tell them anything I want in the world. It won't matter. It's just, that's the life until they go, I'm changing my life. Then now my knowledge, now my resources are available to them. Now they'll actually use them instead of just letting them pass over their head too. Mm. Have you ever had to deal with something like that where maybe someone is so deep in a rut, in a, in a grave, like you said, and uh, God, the, that depth quote you did earlier with the rut in the grave was just insane. Um, where you had to deal with somebody like that and you could, maybe you thought, even in your head, you thought, fuck, this is kind of a lot. Like it, in my head, I don't know if I can even help this guy, but I'm going to take a chance and see what Do you have an example of someone like that, that you really thought, wow, I'm even surprised we turned this around. I do, Danny. Um, It's not in a professional context. It's in a personal context. Mm -hmm. So my childhood best friend, has really struggled with alcohol in the lockdowns and he's making some really, some really poor life choices. And I tried to hold a space for him. I tried to guide him. I tried to, 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 to hold him, to be loving and empathetic towards him. But he's in a space where he's not ready to help himself yet. And I can see, you know, the, the devastation it's causing in amongst his loved ones and his friendship group. And um, yeah, you know, I really believe that part of the reason that my life fell apart in the way that it did was because I was inauthentic. So keeping myself in integrity now is really important to me. And, you know, I really believe that, you know, we all need high levels of self-awareness. We all need to be deliberately assertive. And we also need to be emotionally expressive. And I think if we get those three things together, the awareness, the assertiveness, and the expressiveness, then we can really live a, a rich and rewarding life. And we can keep ourselves 
on the trajectory that we want to go, regardless of what's happening around us. So my, my best friend, I actually had to have a conversation with him where I told him that I wouldn't be his best man at his wedding because I couldn't support the decisions he was making. Wow. Uh, and I, I was really hard, Danny, because I, I recognized that it was probably going to cost us our friendship. But by appeasing him and pretending that his alcoholism wasn't ruining his life, it was taking me out of integrity of myself. And, you know, I would be, my mind would be racing about how I could help him, what, what else I could do, what haven't I tried with this charity help, with that psychotherapist work, could I get him on this retreat? And quite frankly, I got to a place where there's nothing else I could do for this guy other than step away. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so difficult. Um, It's so difficult to go some, I have so many people that are close to me where I've had that relationship with as well. And it's, it's difficult, man. And I believe, I really believe that like authenticity is very important. It's the most important mm. thing because it's your true identity. But if you're only focused on that and not, like you said, your alertness and your awareness and your expressiveness, then you turn into a goodwill hunting where everything yeah. is just like a, I'm only pure and fuck everybody else. And this is all that matters to me, but you're just, you're repressive with your emotions and, and you have the masculine attitude. Like, yeah, I didn't have anybody who cares. You know, I still made it. And then you, it's not until you have, you know, Robin Williams over here saying it's not your fault and over and over. And you're like, get out of here until you say it, it says it enough until you start breaking down, crying yeah. in a therapy room. And then you learn how to be more expressive. You learn how to still keep your authentic authenticity. And I think there's a, there's a misconception, there's a misconception where if you don't have, if you get expressive and you get that way that you lose your authenticity a little bit and you're like, no, 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 no. You keep the best parts of you at all times. In fact, your authenticity is your best parts about that's your humor. You know, that's your, you know, the thing that aggravates you that you make a joke out of all that stuff. It's great. Yeah. Um, but uh, Go ahead, sir. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, Danny. I, yeah. I, uh, I often talk about the concept of self-leadership and, you know, for me, leadership is influence on um, so many people with especially leaders in sport in business in the military, you know, we perhaps even in, in, in your father's law enforcement, you know, leaders want to lead everybody else, but they never think about how they lead themselves. And, um, you know, for me, self-leadership is about intentionally, influencing your your thoughts your feelings and your actions in a direction of the goals that you want to achieve and i've got a really simple concept and this is why i had to have that conversation with my my childhood best friend because the the the, the, the concept of this is around alignment so if what you're thinking in your mind isn't what you're physically doing in your world you're not going to feel good about yourself and you're going to be out of alignment where if you're keeping your word you're living through your values you're having the awareness of not just, you know, the, the critical awareness of yourself, but the wider context of what it is that you're doing and where it's taking you. And then you can be deliberately assertive so you can communicate how you're thinking and how you're feeling, what it is that you need from other people. You can say no. You can ask for help. You can apologize in, in authentic ways. And you can do all of that with expressing yourself. You can still keep your masculinity. You yeah, know, Being absolutely. expressive doesn't mean you emasculate yourself. Absolutely. And I think that's the hardest part is, is men learning how to be vulnerable with themselves. Yeah. I, I met, I met, I remember one time I met at a party. It was my dad's party. He had for, I think it was like a bachelor party or something. I don't know. And, um, it was his coworkers that he's been friends with forever. And it, it conversation starts the same, you know, like I've known him for this many years, blah, blah. blah. And I never met them and they're in their fifties and you know, they have kids and, but they're, they're divorced. Uh, all of them, those two of them. And you know, I'm sure. And then the, in their career, they're just, they're high level. They're like, they've done everything that you're supposed to do, man. They've, 
they've ex- you know exceeded all expectations. They've they've taken bad guys to jail. They've you know they've they've shot it out with with drug with drug members. Everything they've done their thing, you know, and they're and they're very successful. They're at the top of the top. And they were asking about my life, and then I told them like, so you know, so what do you do? And I was like, I just told them that like recently I went on vacation. I was like, I went on vacation in New York, and it was about two years ago. And I remember this conversation because it always stuck with me. And I always went, I want a vacation from New York. And they're like, oh, cool. Did you go with your girlfriend, your friends? I'm like, no, I, I just went. I went for five days and I went just by myself. Um, and in my head, I was terrified of doing that. You know, I'm, I'm by myself in a big city. I don't know anybody. And uh, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I just know that like that fear and anxieties I have, it's, it's good to try to beat those. Mm-hmm. Um, and it forces me to be social and it forces me to, to if, if I can be alone myself, I, I can probably, you know, be a better person. So that's why I did it. You know, I was, I was, I was afraid to do it, but I, I wanted to have that pressure on me. And in their heads, they're like, holy, I remember, I remember what they told me. They're like, holy shit, man. Like you're 20. I was like 27. You're like 27. You're traveling by yourself to New York. Like, man, I wish I had your confidence. Not even knowing that I had zero confidence in the whole fucking thing the whole time. It was just like, I'm, I'm scared and I'm going to try this thing. And then the way they opened up themselves to me for the next hour was, was just unbelievable. They, they told me yeah. about, all their vulnerabilities, all their failures. Yeah, yeah. Like, man, I'm divorced. I don't have the best relationship with my kids. I wish I was like you. Someone said that he said, I wish I was like you. And that was bananas to me. Cause I was like, dude, I'm a, I'm not there at all. I'm not, I'm not where I want to be. Like, and you want to be like me and you're like 50 something years old and you're as accomplished as you are. It, it really opened my eyes to going like, man, that's when I realized what you realized when you said like, there's high level people that are very successful that mentally just aren't where they need to be. They don't yeah, even, yeah. And it, it just, that's why I'm really fascinated with what you're doing. Mm. Um, what books did you read besides The Untethered Soul that really pushed that message for you? Because I know no anyone on your journey, they don't just read one. They're reading about 100. Yeah, I uh, naively, Danny, um, you know, there's, whether it's, you know, binary choices here, yin and yang, good and bad, you know, everything we do is for an outcome. And whenever we experience a positive outcome, we also experience a negative one. So my positive intention was to read a book a week for a year. So 52 books was my intention. Wow. And, uh, and the reality of that, I actually, I got through 40, 38 books. I got through 38 books in a year. So I was trying to consume as much knowledge because I, de- I didn't feel I knew enough to do what I was doing. So that again was my kind of imposter syndrome, kind of sneaking back up, having to put this mask of knowledge on to pretend that I had all the answers for everybody. But uh, I recognize now my job isn't to give people the answers. It's to facilitate the space where they can find their own answers and then to keep them accountable to the things that they know they need to do. But uh, yeah, so uh, that year I read, you know, 38 books. Um, My top book recommendations would be from a spiritual basis. And a lot of guys are probably thinking they don't need any spirituality in their life. But actually we do because it counterbalances that kind of one directional version of masculinity. So Untethered Soul is, is a must. Um, the five love languages, if anybody's married, they need to read the five love languages, um, by, by, I think it's, uh, Gary Chapman. Uh, and he talks about essentially the, the five languages of love. So, you know, as men, you know, one of the love languages is, um, acts of service, like doing jobs, you know, picking up the groceries, putting gas in the car, uh, sweeping the drive, you know, and we do things like that because we think that demonstrates love to our wife but there's five love languages. And if we're not talking in the same language to our partner, then our partners don't realize that we love them. So the five love languages was huge for people that are having kind of marital difficulties or just want to improve their marriage. Um, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. 
kind of taught me. He's a FBI hostage negotiator that specializes in, in the, the psychology of communication. And that was great. That was a really impactful read because it taught me how to, to really communicate my needs. He calls it tactical empathy. You know, so you're having empathy for somebody, but you're still communicating what it is that you need to communicate to get your needs met. Um, another one would be love yourself like your life depends on it uh, by Kamal Ravikant. Uh, and that taught me about the value of your own relationship with yourself. Something, a concept that I was never aware of. So kind of, yeah, I wouldn't say they're particularly mainstream books, Danny, but that's the whole point of this conversation, isn't it? To expose people to stuff that they don't know or they've never experienced before. Dan Saylor, you're not going to believe this, man. When you said this, my mind was racing when you said this, but um, I had the same goal when I, when I was down and out, I had the same goal, a book, a book, a, a book a year. And I shit you not, this is not, this is not even to sound cool or make this up. I read exactly 38 books that year. <laughs> I can't even make this shit up. When you said that, I was like, there's no fucking way, man. I literally had the same exact goal. I thought one book a year and I had time. And I, I, I was 20, I had a regular part-time gig. I didn't even have that much, but like working out all the time, yeah. I read 38 books, exactly 38. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, so and, 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 and you know what, Danny, I'm just, you know, just speaking here from intuition, two guys that are trying to do their best to become better versions of themselves. You know, they set out to read a book a week and both arrived at 38. And, and that 38 book, you know, that was probably them at close to like, you know, maximum percentile, 100%. That's all they could do. Yeah, so, yeah. so for all those people that are spending hours watching YouTube videos or listening to podcasts, you know, reading books, looking for the answers, you know, you can, ex you can, you can experience and consume as much knowledge as you possibly can, like we did in that year of our lives. But until you learn to read yourself, you'll never learn a thing. And Absolutely. that's the fundamental truth of this. The most important relationship in our life is with ourselves. And if we're over-indexing kind of success over happiness, wealth over health, um, intellectual intelligence over emotional intelligence, you know, don't be surprised when you arrive at a place in your life like I did and you did where you don't know who you are and what you want anymore. And it feels uncomfortable. Absolutely. Dan Stanley, I, I am 100% behind your message. I'm 100%, you know, admiring you. I, 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 like I said, it's always been difficult for me to really try to help others in a, in a, in a, in a space like this, because I always feel like if they wanted it, they would reach out. And, uh, yeah. and sometimes I have to do a better, I have to do a much better job at reaching out to them to see if they even are just too, too proud to even admit it. And I, and I, and I'm admired by people like you. I respect, all, I respect people like you because it's people like you that changed, that changed my life. I'm 100% that, uh, maybe opened my eyes to my own weaknesses more than I wanted to even see them. And, uh, yeah. once I open my eyes to them, you can't run away from anymore. And that, that's, it's exactly what you said. Those books, it's not the book. It's you willing to want to read the book is why the book even means anything. Mm. And, I, I promise you 30 to 45 minutes, Dan Stanley. We did 30 to 45 minutes. I, I was honored to host you. Um, like I said, I, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. And where can people reach you? Where can people reach you so they can, if they're looking for these services, I mean, they can get in touch with you. I mean, like I said, I, I think you're, you know, I think you're a great, great contact for people like that. Thank you, Danny. Yeah, for, for me, this is more than just running a business. It's about making an impact you know, really changing what it means to be a successful man in the 21st century. And I'm sharing my messages through primarily through LinkedIn. Um, so if people will search in the LinkedIn bar, Dan Stanley, you'll see me come up on the Better Men Coaching. Uh, connect with me, reach out, send me a message. Um, you know, I run small group coaching courses three times a year. I offer consultations and I do one-to-one -one coaching. And the, 
the majority of my time when I'm not client facing at the moment, Danny has spent putting my soul into writing this book. And I'm hoping that it'll be out in kind of September of this year. And yeah, when, when men hold it, I want them to recognize that this is the alternative to that mainstream narrative of how they have to live their lives. Because if it worked, there wouldn't be so many divorced, unhappy, unhealthy men in the world. Absolutely. Well, do me a favor, Dan Stanley. When you, when you write that book, please send me an autographed coffee. I'd love to have it back here and, and throw it up and, uh, and brag about you, you know, whenever, whenever Thank it comes you. up. Thank you, Danny. Thank you for the opportunity of allowing me to share my message with your, with your listeners. I'm uh, extremely grateful. Thank you. Absolutely, sir. Thank you. This has been Alternate Take. We'll see you guys later. Peace. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, our interview with the owner of Better Men, Dan Stanley. Thanks a lot for coming on the show, Dan. I had a great time, man. It it was uh, amazing to have my first international guest. It was amazing to have someone as knowledgeable and as vulnerable as you to share your wisdom, to share your experiences, and to share your journey, and to share everything that you wanted to share to help men succeed in the 21st century. I know I take these lessons to heart, and I'm, and I'm so glad to meet somebody like yourself, man. Um, for everybody who's a fan of Dan Stanley or who just became a fan of Dan Stanley, I put all of his information in the podcast description, and go check it out, man. I know he does webinars and seminars for a bunch of people. I can't wait for his book, and this was just an amazing experience for me. So thanks a lot, Dan Stanley. I'm glad to call you my friend, brother. For all you other fans out there, go to Alternate Take DR. Go check out our Instagram and our TikTok at that thing now, which we just got started. And that's it, man. This is Alternate Take. My name is Dan Rodriguez, and I'll see you guys soon. Peace.